We're going to transition to our forming time. Our children will transition. What? I am right now. Okay. I'll do that. Uh, and then we will collect our offering for this evening right after this. Uh, technically, um, not technically, actually, the first Sunday of Advent is tomorrow. Um, Advent is a time of preparation. And so traditionally, um, we let these sticks fall. stop burning. It's not particularly helpful. Traditionally, in our churches, we have Advent wreaths with four different candles. One for each week of Advent, and then in the center, a Christ candle. Um, all various shapes and sizes. If you come to... What, what we got going on here with the, with the candles? Um, if you come to Sherlin, quite, quite interesting um, candle holder, but all different shapes and sizes. And every week in, in the season of expectation... Uh, we come expecting something different. And so uh, the first week of Advent, we come expecting peace. Light this one. There is an order you're supposed to light them in, but you know when you're uh, dealing with different size candles, you just kind of go with whatever one's higher. We live in a world, I, I don't think that's any surprise, that Peace is something we desperately need. When Jesus was born, the world was desperate for peace. Today, the world is desperate for peace. But we believe that in the person of Jesus Christ, peace came to earth. We, we call Jesus the Prince of Peace, actually. And through him, we believe that peace can be on earth. And so I, I would like you to think this week, as you uh, reflect on uh, this first week of Advent, and as you reflect on peace, I'd like you to think about which ways and what ways in your life, in your family, in your work, that you can advocate for peace, that you can be a peacemaker, not just a peacekeeper. What things you can do to share in that expectation, how we can look forward to it, how it can transform us. A couple things I want to uh, we can collect our offering for, for the evening. We'll transition the kids. What? Oh, you already got it? Well, I was talking slow. <laughs> yeah. No, well, <laughs> there are some churches that do that. Um, the uh, the African uh, Methodist churches that I've worked with, uh, you, you always take two offerings. Uh, there's good reasons for that, but we don't generally do that. A couple of things. Uh, I, I'm, we're going to cancel planning team for Monday, and I'll send out an email reminder um, because we're going to have a meeting on, on Tuesday night uh, for some leadership. But please mark your calendar December 9th, 730 at Sherland. That is New Life and Sherland's church conference. And that is the annual kind of business meeting of the church. That sounds really exciting, right? But it's also a visioning meeting and a time of worship and a time when the two congregations can come together. Also, this is the last week for your uh, paper angel tree. Uh, so if you took a tag, make sure you get that tag back uh, ASAP. Uh, make some arrangements with uh, us this week so that we can pick it up. 
Um, I think most of you brought those gifts back, so thank you for that. And next week, we will introduce the paper angel closet and those things that uh, we need for those. So um, we'll go from one mission to another mission, but the paper angel closet is going to be a a year-round mission for new life that we're going to be introducing. So very exciting, and that's going to be right here on site at Hilltop uh, to help people in our community. So let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll transition to our forming time. Lord, we thank you in the busyness of this holiday season and the hectic nature that we have an opportunity to come and rest in your peace. Help us now as we uh, hear a story as we uh, take up a classic to see how you move and work in the midst of narrative in the midst of our lives. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So over the next three weeks, we're going to be doing something a little different. Um, My initial intent was to do three weeks on C.S. Lewis. And then I realized maybe after six weeks of this pretty heavy topic of idolatry, trying to cover mere Christianity in one week may have been a little much. So uh, what I decided to do is to bring up, uh, this is Christian classics, uh, to bring up three Christian authors, a very, um, a very devote Christian authors uh, who write stories and actually read through and talk about some of their stories. Uh, why, why would we do that? You know, the Bible is, is you know, the, the Word of God and, and super important. Why can't we just read that? Um, we should, and, and we do every, every week, and we will today, too. But I think it's important as a life skill, as a spiritual skill, to be able to, in our, um, in our hobby time, in our relaxation time, in going to the movies and watching television, in talking to our family and friends, in talking about politics, and talking, um, you know, about what we do. Basically, in every area of our life, to be able to see God and to relate theology that we experience, theology that we read, theology that we can comprehend. Theology is just the study of God, how we experience God. You know, the, the major reason people are atheists is because they don't have evidence of God. And the major reason that I am a Christian is because of the evidence I have about God. And part of that evidence is understanding how God works and how God moves and how God has influenced other people. And so we're going to read stories from three men who were very devout Christians who are true, I believe, followers of Jesus Christ. And their theology and their understanding of God is transmitted into these stories that most of us know and love that the world has made popular here in this last decade. And tonight, we're going to start with one of, um, one of my favorite stories, and this is probably a story that you've not read. Although almost everyone here knows the story to some extent. The first author is Hans Christian Andersen, and he was a Danish children's author. Um, 
not known for the the happiest fairy tales in in the world. I've read read several of them this week again. Um, this is all of them in in my personal copy. Um, I'm Danish, so I, I like Danish things in the first place. But you you would be familiar with with some of the things Hans Christian Andersen has done: The Little Mermaid, um, The Emperor's New Clothes, uh, The Tinderbox, The Little Matchstick Girl, and the story that we're going to read today, The Snow Queen. Now, if anybody has anybody actually read The Snow Queen, I'm going to guess no. Well, The Snow Queen is the inspiration for a fairly popular movie called Frozen. And um, Frozen just came out on sing-along version this week because, you know, they didn't have enough billions of dollars. <laughs> so let's come up with another DVD that has, you know, I can just turn the subtitles on my version and it works fine. Um, or, of course, my four-year-old knows it by heart, so I don't really need to have it. But um, the stories are very different. But I think you'll see some inspiration here in this story. So I want to read um, a little bit of this story, but I, wanna, I do want to start with Scripture. And I want to start with uh, Matthew 18. And I just want you to think about this uh, verse of Scripture. Because uh, we do relate things back to the Bible and we relate things back to our experience and our reason. He hear these words from Jesus. At this time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom? Then he called the little child over to sit among the disciples. He said to them, I assure you that if you don't turn your lives around and become like this little child, you will definitely not enter the kingdom of heaven. For those who humble themselves like this child will be the greatest in the kingdom. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So that's a passage we're familiar with. I want you to kind of have that in the back of your mind as we read this um, story that inspired Disney to create perhaps one of its most, um, well, it, its most financially um, successful film, um, but uh, certainly one of its most successful films. So this is the Snow Queen, and the Snow Queen is in seven parts. I'm not going to read the entire story. It's quite long. It's Hans Christian Andersen's longest story, actually. But I want to read a couple parts, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So the first story, which has to do with a mirror and its fragments. Now then, we will begin. When the story is done, you shall know a great deal more than you do now. He was a terribly bad hobgoblin, a goblin of the very wickedest sort. And, in fact, he was the devil himself. One day the devil was in a very good humor because he had just finished a mirror which had this peculiar power. Everything good and beautiful that was reflected in it seemed to dwindle to almost nothing at all, while everything that was worthless and ugly became most conspicuous and even uglier than ever. In this mirror, the loveliest landscapes looked like boiled spinach, and the very best people became hideous, or stood on their heads and had no stomachs. Their faces were distorted and unrecognizable, and if a person had a freckle, it was sure to spread to cover both their nose and mouth. A little different than, do you want to build a snowman? But that's how we begin. The story continues with the devil and his disciples, his, his students, bringing the mirror, this mirror that reflected the good and wonderful things in the world to evil, bringing it all over the world and reflecting the hearts of people. And eventually, they try to bring it to heaven. 
Hence, Christian Anderson is less um, subversive about his Christianity than some other authors. They try to bring it to heaven, and the mirror shatters. And the shards and specks and dust from the mirror cover the entire earth. And they get lodged in some people's eyes and their hearts. And if they, those specks get lodged in their hearts, their hearts turn to stone. They turn to a solid lump of ice. They are frozen. Right? That's where it comes in. Okay, you're making the connections. Okay, good. It's a very interesting way to start a fairy tale. But I think it's not a particularly uh, a, a deep kind of stretch to kind of see what's going on here. Hans Christian Andersen is kind of introducing his children's audience to his understanding of sin. Sin is this kind of force, this evil thing that sometimes we attribute to, you know, the devil or, or in this case, a hobgoblin who called himself the devil. But it's something that once it gets hold of our hearts, turns our hearts cold. That when we let sin kind of come into our lives, we see good things and we distort them. Somebody tells us good news and we turn it into bad news. Somebody says something wonderful and we make it about something terrible. We see positivity and we turn it negative. Sin is taking everything good in us and turning it upside down on its head without a stomach. I don't understand the without a stomach thing, but that's what the book says. Sin freezes our hearts, turns us cold. Hans Christian Andersen has an interesting way of sharing that with children. So that's how the story begins. We move then to the second story, a little boy and a little girl. Kay and Gerda were two wonderful little children, two uh, just happy. They, they were poor but happy little children, and they would play together, and they had this little tiny garden-like flower pot kind of that sat outside their window, and they would sit and, and, and watch the roses and be excited, and they would play together, and they would sit and listen to their grandmother, or one of their grandmothers, and it's not clear whose it is, but they would sit and listen to, to this grandmother figure, and she would read scripture for them. And they had innocence and they had beauty and purity. And that's where we're going to pick up here in our story. That summer the roses bloomed their splendid best. The little girl had learned a hymn, which there was one line about roses that reminded her of their own flowers. She sang it to the little boy and he sang it with her. Where roses bloom so sweetly in the veil, there you shall find the Christ child without fail. The children held each other by the hand, kissed the roses, and looked up at the Lord's clear sunshine and spoke to it as if the Christ child were with them. What glorious summer days were those, and how beautiful it was out under those fragmented roses, which seemed as if they would never stop blooming. Kay and Gerda were looking at a picture book of birds and beasts one day, and it was them. Just as the clock in the church tower was striking five, that Kay cried, Oh, something in my heart, and now I have something in my eye. The little girl put her arm around his neck, and he blinked his eye. She couldn't see anything in it. I think it's gone, he said, but it was not gone. It was one of those splinters of glass from the magic mirror. 
You remember that goblin's mirror, the one which made everything great and good that was reflected in it appear small and ugly, but which magnified all evil until each blemish loomed large. Poor Kay. A fragment had pierced his heart as well, and it would soon turn into a lump of ice. The pain had stopped, but the glass was still there. Kay had, the little boy, has this uh, experience of the Snow Queen. They're looking out one day, out the window when it's cold, and he sees the Snow Queen, and he becomes fascinated with her. Then as they're playing one day, he gets this speck of the mirror in his eye, and he starts seeing evil in the things around him. He starts making fun of Gerda. He starts making fun of his grandmother. He starts abandoning his fun lifestyle. So much so that one day as he is playing, he sees the Snow Queen's uh, sled, and he hooks up his little sled behind her, and he rides off. And in the cold and in the desolateness of, you know, we're, we're talking about Scandinavia here, uh, Denmark and um, Finland and, and those areas. The Snow Queen kisses him and it, it kind of numbs his heart. And she kisses him again and he, he loses all memory. And the townspeople where he lived, they think he's dead. Gerda thinks otherwise. Again, we, we see a very a very powerful image of how our lives look and how sin enters our lives and, and kind of the story of a lot of our lives where everything is great and everything is going well. Even some of us uh, growing up in the church and uh, growing up with faith and then something happens. Sometimes it starts as kind of a fixation or a fascination with Kay. It was the Snow Queen. He saw her and he, he was just kind of immediately enthralled by her. Her appearance, her... Uh, power, her magic. For some of us, it's getting out into the real world. It's independence. It's getting involved in things that hurt us, that we think are great, but don't turn out so well. We talked about that for six weeks, right? Those other gods in our world. Here we see the innocence that Kay lost. The mirror came down to him and started distorting. And not only did it just come and distort things, it started to take hold. And Hans Christian Andersen says it turned, or started turning his heart into a lump of ice so that he couldn't feel, so that he didn't have empathy, so he didn't care, so that he didn't care about the feelings of others, so that he didn't remember the people that he loved. So often when we let sin take hold in our lives, we forget about other people. We get focused on ourselves. We get focused on our needs, our wants. Sometimes we get fixated on something. Something we want, something we think we should have. We talked about over the last six weeks, success, food, sex, power, even love. So that nothing else matters. As we continue to our third story, the, the flower garden of the woman skilled in magic, we find Gerda not, not able to deal with the fact that Kay is gone. So she puts on her brand new red shoes that uh, were her most prized possession, and she goes down to the river, which the townspeople said is where Kay probably drowned. And, you know, this is a children's story. Um, 
different time, I guess, back then. And she asked the river, she says, I will give you my shoes if you tell me if you took Kay. And she throws her shoes into the river and the shoes come back. So she believes that Kay is still alive. And so she gets in a boat and the boat takes her down, takes her down um, to a path she wasn't really sure of. And she ends up at this garden and there's an older woman there who's skilled in magic. And the older woman decides that she would really like if Gerda stayed with her. She really wanted, you know, a daughter, someone to stay with her. So, so she casts a spell on Gerda and makes her forget. And, and even goes to the, the point, this, this woman has this beautiful garden. She even goes to the point of making the, the roses kind of go underneath the ground so that Gerda will not be reminded of the people and places she came from. So that's where we pick up. Gerda is, um, has spent some time here with this woman in the garden, not remembering her, her uh, mission, not remembering where she was supposed to go. The next morning again, went, she went out, Gerda went out, into the warm sunshine to play with the flowers. She did this for many a day. Gerda knew every flower by heart, and plentiful though they were, she always felt that there was one missing, but she did not know why. One day she sat and looked at the old woman's sun hat and the prettiest of all the flowers was painted on it. That was a rose. The old woman had forgotten this rose on her hat when she made the real roses disappear into the earth, but that's just the sort of thing that happens when one doesn't stop to think. Why aren't there any roses here, Gerda said. She rushed out among the flower beds and looked and she looked, but there wasn't a rose to be seen. She sat down and cried. But her tears fell on the very spot where the rose bush had sunk into the ground. And when her warm tears moistened the earth, the bush sprang up again, as full of blossoms as when it disappeared. Gerda hugged it, kissed the roses. She remembered her own pretty roses and thought of little Kay. <coughs> oh, how long have I been delayed, said the little girl. I should have been looking for Kay. Don't you know where he is, she asked the roses. Do you think that he's dead and gone? He isn't dead, said the roses. We've been down in the earth where dead people are. Kay is not there. Some interesting uh, es eschatological theology right there, but uh, we won't dwell on that. You know, the first thing that really, that really pops out about this story is Gerd is willing to sacrifice her most prized possession for her friend. You know, Jesus says the the greatest act of friendship is to put someone else's life in front of yours. Put someone else's needs in front of yours. And I think it's also interesting as Gerda is called into this kind of mission to find Kay, to search for him. She immediately finds someone else who tries to stop her. And I think that's very true in our own mission, in our own call, in our own lives, that Sometimes when we go out, sometimes when we are empowered, sometimes when we really feel like God is saying, go here, do this, that someone kind of pops up and says, well, that's not a good idea, or that's going to be too expensive, or you'll never be able to do that. And finally, as we continue on in the rest of this story, she goes around the garden and asks, it's actually quite long part of the, the story, she goes around the garden and she asks all of the flowers if they've seen Kay. And all of the flowers respond in different ways, but in, in the same way. 
they tell her not Kay's story, but their own story. And I think as we go out into the world and we try to tell people about the story of Jesus Christ, we're often met with people telling us their stories. And sometimes that's good because that gives us a way to share the story with them. Sometimes people are just so fixated on their own stories that it's hard to share another story. So we have to be careful about that. So she doesn't get any help. So she continues on, and she leaves this garden. And she's hungry and tired, and she meets a crow. And she asks the crow if, if he had seen Kay. And the crow says, I, well, I, I'd seen a, a young man who kind of looks like Kay. And the crow says, my fiancé, also a crow, just in case you were worried about that kind of thing, works in a, in a castle and said, there's a princess there, and she just married a prince who kind of came looking rugged and, and, and poor and he, he kind of looks like Kay and so Gerda immediately latches on to that hope. She immediately believes that Kay is here married to the princess. And so she gets the help of the crow and the crow and the crow's fiance, also a crow, they, I just, they actually make that a point several times in the story uh, just in case you were confused. Uh, they get to the castle and they help Gerda into the royal um, the royal hall. So I won't pick up there. The ceiling of it was lit like the top of a huge palm tree with leaves of glass, very costly glass. In the middle of the room, two beds hung from a massive stem of gold. Each of them looked like a lily. On one bed, which was white, there lay the princess. The other was red, and there Gerda hoped to find little Kay. She bent one of the scarlet petals and saw the nape of the little brown neck. Surely this must be Kay. She called his name aloud and held the lamp near him. But he turned his head, and it was not Kay at all. The prince only resembled Kay, but he was young and handsome. The princess peeked out of her lily white bed and asked what had happened. Gerda cried and told them about herself, about what the crows had done for her. Poor little thing, the prince and the princess said. They praised the crows and said they weren't the least bit angry with them but not to do it again. Furthermore, they should have a reward. The uh, prince and princess help Gerda. They give her uh, uh, nice clothes, warm clothes, because again, we're, you know, in Scandinavia. It's cold there. They give her a carriage, someone to ride the carriage, a carriage made of gold, which would be expensive, I would assume. And someone to guard her, someone to ride with her on her quest to find Kay two very interesting things as we as we go out about our, our mission as we go out about our quest as as we just look for god sometimes we kind of chase false leads sometimes we just get a speck of something we think is oh yes this is the right direction oh yes this is god's work and, and we chase it and we hold on to it and, and it may not be god's work at all that's why we believe we need to have more than just our own mind and our own thoughts when it comes to discerning how God is working in our lives. That's why we, we believe that's one of the purposes of the church. That we can bounce things off of each other. That we can see that truly what we're doing is God's work or God's way, God's will, and our, our own will. And so Gerda does get help. She gets help from the prince and the princess. And us too, in our lives, need some help from time to time. 
That brings us to our fifth story, the little robber girl, the most disturbing of the seven stories. Gerda makes her way in this beautiful golden carriage. She has several men with her um, to protect her, to guide her, to drive the carriage, of course. And they make it a, a, few, uh, a few days until they're waylaid by robbers, by bandits. They take the carriage, they kill all of her companions, and they're going to kill and eat her. Children's book. Yeah, um, again, a little different time sensitivities than we have now. They're going to kill and eat her. Um, actually, one of, one of the kind of matriarchs of the robbers is going to. But her daughter, this little robber girl, says, stop. I think this little girl will make a good playmate for myself. And she's a, she's a wild kind of animalistic little girl. And she has all kinds of pigeons, and she even has a reindeer. If you remember the uh, story in Frozen, reindeer's a big part of it. Uh, and, and the reindeer's name is Bay. And, and, and she kind of threatens them, and she threatens Gerda. Um, but Gerda, she's afraid, but she's not afraid enough to pretend to be something she's not. And she, she tells the little robber girl, and she tells the pigeons and the, the reindeer, because everybody talks in this story, uh, why she's there, what she's looking for. She tells them about Kay. And that's where we're going to pick up. In the morning, Gerda told her all that the wood pigeons had said. The little robber girl looked quite thoughtful. She nodded her head and exclaimed, Leave it to me. Leave it to me. Do you know where Lapland is? She asked the reindeer. Well, who knows better than I, the reindeer said, and his eyes sparkled. There I was born. There I was bred, and that's where I kicked my heels in freedom across the fields of snow. Listen, the robber girl said to Gerda. As you see, all the men are away. Mother is still here, and here she'll say. But before the morning is over, she'll drink out of that big bottle, and then she usually dozes off for a nap. I, I do that after tea, too. Um, it's not in here. As soon as that happens, I will do you a good turn. So she jumped out of bed, rushed over, threw her arms around her mother's neck, pulled at her beard bristles, and said, Good morning, my dear nanny goat. Her mother thumped her on the nose until it was red and blue. But all that was done out of pure love. As soon as the mother had tipped up the bottle and dozed off to sleep, the little robber girl ran to the reindeer and said, I have a good notion to keep you here. You're so funny, but never mind. I'll untie you and help you find your way outside that you, so that you can run back to Lapland. But you must put your best leg forward and carry this little girl to the Snow Queen's palace, where her playmate is. I suppose you heard what she told me, for she spoke so loud and you were eavesdropping. <laughs> it's not long into our personal faith journeys or any faith journey or any kind of experience we have um, when sometimes things go wrong. And so things seem to be going pretty right for Gerda. She had a, a nice golden carriage. Um, she had people to help her. Uh, but a few days passed, and they were waylaid and robbed. And her very life was in jeopardy. But sometimes we get help from unlikely sources. Sometimes it's the people we least think will help us, we least think we can see and experience God in, that we will see Jesus Christ in. Sometimes it's the people we don't trust, who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who don't believe like us, who are actually ready and waiting 
to be used by God in our journey, for our journey. Another good thing I, I, I want to point out here is, is often when we're faced with adversity, when we're faced with a conflict, we either back down or we even lie. And we make up a story or, or we, we, we put down what we were doing and say, I really wasn't doing this. I, I really wasn't following God. I was just doing this. But never in this story does Gerda lie about what she's doing. Even in the Bible, you know, Abraham lies about Sarai being his wife. And we, and we see stories and stories about that. But never does she lie about who she is or what she's doing. She's honest with her captor, with, with this dangerous situation. Here's who I am, and here is what I am doing. And her truthfulness, her story, touched the heart of this wild, beast-like little girl who was really ready to kill her um, a, a, as soon as play with her. Gerda did not lose sight of her goal, and when we feel called to do something, we cannot lose sight of our goal, even in conflict, even when everything seems to go wrong, even when we are threatened, we need to be able to stand up and say, this is who I am, a child of God. This is what I'm doing, God's work in whatever way. So Bay, the reindeer, and Gerda head off to Lapland, which is a place in Scandinavia. Right? I'll let you look that up tonight and see where that is. And there they meet a nice woman who helps them, gives them some warmth, uh, gives them some nice uh, warm clothes. And then they go to a, a Finnish woman's house, a Finn woman's house. Uh, so they go from Lapland to Finland. It's a good haul on a reindeer, in case you've ever gone reindeer sledding or, or whatever you do, riding. And the Finn woman is also skilled in magic. And so Gerda actually asks, is there anything you can do? Is there any way you can help, help me? She's looking for wisdom. She's looking for guidance. She's looking for powder, for power. And, and, and this is how the Finnish woman replies in this uh, sixth story. Little Kay is indeed with the Snow Queen, and everything there suits him fine. He thinks it's the best place in all the world, but that's because he has a splinter of glass in his eye and in his heart. Unless these things can be gotten out, he will never be human again, and the Snow Queen will hold power over him. But can't you fix Little, Gir fix little Gerdo, this is the reindeer talking, something to drink? which will give her more power than all those things. No power I could give her could be as great as that which she already has. Don't you see how men and beasts are compelled to serve her? How far she has come in this wide world since she started out in her naked feet. We mustn't tell her about this power. Strength lies in her heart. She is sweet and innocent, a child. If she herself cannot reach the Snow Queen and rid little Kay of those pieces of glass, then there is no help that we can give her. The Snow Queen's garden lies eight miles from here. You may carry the little girl there, put her down, 
by the, big, uh, the, the bush covered with red berries that grow in the snow. Then don't stand there gossiping, but hurry back here. The Finn woman prepares Gerda and Bay for their journey. They head out to the garden of the Snow Queen, and Gerda then takes off by herself, and Bay returns to the Finn woman. And Gerda gets to the palace, and as soon as she gets to the palace, there is these growing uh, snowflakes. Uh, and, and they're described kind of very uh, obscurely, um, but there, there's, a, there's a similar uh, a scene in Frozen, of course, um, that kind of snow monster that comes up. And these, these guards, they, she understands that these snowflakes are guards from the Snow Queen, and they are preventing her from getting into the palace and therefore to Kay. And so she stops, and she says the Lord's Prayer. And as soon as she prays that prayer, a legion of angels comes from behind her and defeats the snowflakes, letting her enter in. And then she gets into the palace. It's funny here, Gerda is looking for wisdom and power. And often in our lives, whether it's in, in, our, in our faith journey, whether it's in the ministry that we do, but sometimes just in everyday life, we are looking and desperate for wisdom and power. For somebody to tell us, do this, or just believe that, or if you only had this, then it would be okay. When we know and we should believe that the true power that we have comes from on high. From Jesus Christ, from the Holy Spirit that is within us. That's part of us. There at the palace, the foot of the palace of the Snow Queen, when faced with these horrible, monstrous, kind of snow monsters, Gerda relies on her faith. And her inner power is able to strengthen her and continue on her journey. That brings us to the final, the seventh story, what happened in the Snow Queen's palace and what came of it. Gerda goes into the palace and it's, it's frozen and it's desolate. And in the middle of the palace, there's a giant lake of ice. And on it is a throne where the Snow Queen sits. And she calls that her mirror of reason there's a lot of um, there's a lot of reason versus faith stuff happening in this story um, if you really dig into it but the snow queen isn't there but Kay is and he is freezing to death his, his heart almost turned to ice on the floor on that glass lake that frozen lake and he's desperately trying to do this puzzle they call it like a Chinese puzzle um I'm not sure that we, we would have a similar puzzle like it, but a kind of a word puzzle. And the Snow Queen tells him that if you just spell out the word eternity, again, Hans Christian Andersen, not the most subversive person when it comes to storytelling. If you just spell out the word eternity, then I will release you. Then you can be free. But he's desperately unable to do that. He's relying on his reason, it says, and he's... He's trying to find the pattern and trying to find the, the, the rhythm and, and the structure in these words, and he cannot come up with this word, eternity. Gerda comes, and that's where we pick up. 
All of the sudden, little Gerda walked up to the palace through a great gate, which was knife-edged wind. But Gerda said an evening prayer. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, and the wind was long to rest. And the little girl came into the vast, cold, empty hall. Then she saw Kay. She recognized him at once, ran to him, threw her arms around him. She held him close and cried, Kay, dearest Kay, I have found you at last. But he sat still, stiff and cold. Gerda shed hot tears, and when they fell upon him, they went straight into his heart. They melted the lump of ice. They burned away the splinter of glass in it. He looked up at her, and she sang. Where, blues, where roses bloom in sweetly, so sweetly in the veil, there you shall find the Christ child without fail. Kay burst into tears as he cried so freely that the little pieces of glass in his eye were washed right out. Gerda! He knew it was her. And he cried out in happiness, My sweet little Gerda, where have you been so long? And where have I been? He looked around him and said, How cold is it here? How enormous and empty. He held fast to Gerda who laughed until happy tears rolled down her cheeks. Their bliss was so heavenly that even the bits of glass danced around them and shared in their happiness. When the pieces grew tired, they dropped into the pattern which made the very word that the Snow Queen had told Kay he must find before he became his own master and received the whole world and a new pair of skates. Because why not? And they leave. Kay is free. He was able to spell the word eternity. They go meet Bay and, and another reindeer. They go back and they, they talk to the, the Finnish woman and the lap woman. They meet the little robber girl, but she's grown up. They meet the prince and the princess and they head back to their home to their sweet grandmother. And this is how the story ends. Kay and Gerda held each other by the hand. And as they walked along, they had a wonderful spring weather. The land was green and strewn with flowers. Church bells rang and they saw the high steeples of a big town. It was the one where they used to live. They walked straight into grandmother's house, up the stairs and into the room where everything was just as it was when they left it. The clock said tick-tock and its hands were telling time. But the moment they came to the door, they noticed one change. They were grown up now. The roses on the roof looked in the open window and their two little stools were still out there. Kay and Gerda sat down on them and held each other by the hand. Both of them had forgotten the icy, empty splendor of the Snow Queen's palace as completely as if it were some bad dream. Grandmother sat in God's good sunshine reading to them from the Bible. Except ye become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Kay and Gerda looked into each other's eyes and at last they understood the meaning of their old hymn where roses bloom so sweetly in the veil, there you shall find the Christ child without fail. And as they sat there grown up, but still children, children at heart, it was summer, warm, glorious summer. Gerda gave up everything. She went to the ends of the earth for her friend. And I, I truly think this is a wonderful story of discipleship. 
if you take it as the metaphor and as the analogy, we talk a lot about it. How do we, how do we get people to church? How do, we, you know, how do we engage people in ministry? How do we share the good news of Jesus Christ? When the reality is you have to be willing to go to the end of the earth for someone else if you truly want to make them a disciple. If you truly want them to know Jesus Christ, you have to be willing to do a lot of work to go a lot of places, to go into dangerous territory, to sacrifice sometimes. And nothing more is an act of true love than that. Going to the ends of the earth, tracking them down, sharing with them that, I mean, that, it's pretty simple if you hadn't gotten to this point that Kay wandered from his faith, but Gerda chased him and pursued him like God pursues each of us. And in the end, where he was so fascinated with reason and logic and patterns, she shared with him the gospel and he had eternal life because of it. I I hope you get that kind of stuff. That's why we're doing this for the next three weeks so that you can start to see these themes and these stories are stories that are so powerful because they're our story. They're the story of good news. They're the story of Advent, the story of Christmas, the story of Easter. Kay and Gerda were grown up, if you hadn't figured that out. Time had passed and they had gone through this incredible journey together, but they were still like children. And that's where that Matthew 8 verse that I started out with. The faith and the innocence and the devotion that they had as children is what kept them connected to Christ as adults. It's what connects us. If if you've ever wanted to try to understand how do we have a faith like a child, well, here's a story that tells you how you have faith like a child. You focus on what's most important. You focus on friendship and love. You sacrifice meaningless things to gain meaningful things. You think of others over yourself. You experience peace and joy and faith and hope and most of all, love. So I think Hans Christian Andersen has done us a a wonderful thing by sharing this story. And um, Although Disney didn't, you know, do it quite verbatim, (laughs) did they? Those of you who have seen Frozen. I think they still got the message across. That true love isn't necessarily about a fairy tale romance or, or, or a fairy tale uh, story like we think about it, but true love is going to the ends of the earth for someone. God went to the, well, came to earth, very truthfully, for us in Jesus Christ, and that's what we're going to be celebrating this month up until Christmas. And if God, all-powerful, almighty, became simple and small and, and did that for us, the least we can do for one another is search them out and share them that good news. Amen. Next week, um, we'll look at The Hobbit. And uh, the week after that, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, so, yeah, it's a little different. But. And 
it's a it's a good story worth reading if you want to sit down and it takes just a hour or so to read the whole story. Let's have a word of prayer as we transition now to our forwarding time. Lord, we thank you for so many wonderful things. Our time this week, the uh, the chaos, the frustration, but also your grace, your mercy. We ask that you just uh, give us the ability to give thanks every day for what we have, for who we are, for whose we are. And allow us to bring that into this season of busyness. Allow us to experience your peace in the season of chaos. Most of all, allow us to truly share that good news with everyone we meet and help us pursue the people in our lives with it so that they know every day that we have experienced that love and we want to share it with them and that they too can experience it. Pray these things in your holiness.